Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 214. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here for our 2022 year in review. And as you can plainly hear behind <laughs> us, we have decided to take the show on the road. Yes, we are at Disney Springs, but not where you think we might be. Yeah, we're not, despite what you think, at Dockside Margaritas. We're looking at it, though. We're looking at Dockside Margaritas. We're on the other side of the water, over by Swirls on the Water. They had some holiday offerings um, that we hadn't gotten to yet this holiday season. So we said, you know what? Let's go. Let's try the last of the holiday offerings before they're gone until next year. Let's enjoy it, and let's talk our year in review, because... There was just so much that went on this year in, in terms of Disney content. Yes, not just with theatrical releases, but Disney Plus as well. And I think, and, and I don't want to keep bringing it back to that, but I think it is important to mention that this is the residual effects of the pandemic, is that things were greenlit in 2024, 2021, but people still obviously had to be very safe on set. They couldn't necessarily do large productions with a lot of people. So now we're starting to see even more of these bigger productions and bigger budget films come out because they are able to staff them properly and actually get these things done. I mean, Marvel had a huge year. Um, Disney Plus had so many series come out this year. Um, So, you know, obviously we do the show every year because we love to talk about movies. We love to reflect on what we watched and some of our favorites. Um, But we thought what better way than to do it at Disney Springs, especially on a night where it has dropped to 60 degrees and we have a frozen hot chocolate with us. Yes. And it's just so funny on our way over here. I had to get a laugh over the amount of people that were like aggravated that it's busy. This is the week between Christmas and New Year's. This is the vacation destination of the world. You picked the week, the one week, where every single school kid in the world is off from school. What did you think was going to happen? Admittedly, I questioned our own judgment for trying to pull this off because we knew we wanted to do the show here. I don't think that I could do this every single week because to, to really hone in on the specifics of a film the way that we do, I think I'd be far too distracted. I could barely get through the Dockside chat without laughing at the line dancers the last time we did one. Yeah, the tequila had nothing to do with that at all. <laughs> also that. No, but this is different. It requires more focus. We can do it for the year in review, but um, you know, for a regular episode, I think there's just a little bit too much going on. And I was slightly concerned tonight about finding a place that was going to be quiet enough where we'd be able to actually focus. But I think we're okay where we're at. They've already taken the rest of the chairs from this table, so there yes. will be no scraping when somebody comes by. So I think we're good. I think we're ready to launch into this, yeah? I am really excited to talk about this year. Um, obviously, it's the year that we moved down here, became Disney Parks locals. For anybody that's new and just following us now, or you've just found the show, welcome to listen to all the things that we're doing Disney Parks related. You can listen to our Dockside Chats once a month live from Dockside Margaritas down here at Disney Springs. But we are so excited to finally dig into the slate. And I have to tell you, I was surprised with how much content there was because I kind of just had, like, the six big movies in my head, forgetting about everything that went to Disney+, and forgetting about some of the titles 
that you would not associate with Disney, which is the first title that we have to discuss in our docs, in our, I almost called it a docs <laughs> chat, in our year in review. Uh, yes, in February, uh, we saw Death on the Nile in theaters. That was actually the last film that we saw in New York because we were just about ready to move. Um, yeah. And we do have an AMC membership, so we decided to put it to use. Um, and I remember being really into this movie because the cast yeah. was just huge. Um and unfortunately, I think the cast was the best part of it because this was no Knives Out. It was a good whodunit. It was fun. The setting was amazing. But I definitely liked Knives Out better. Knives Out was, was much better. I think they tried, they tried to outdo Knives Out while still being Knives Out. Yes. And the minute you try too hard to be something else you're going to lose what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish. It was good, not great. I found it to be predictable. And at times, I felt like they threw twists in that didn't make sense just to, like, throw you off the trail. But it ended up being the trail you knew it was going to be almost the entire time. Yeah, you called it pretty early on. I will say this, though. I am very excited to see movies of this ilk becoming more prominent. We had talked about that when we reviewed Jungle Cruise. Um, but I really like the idea of these travel and expedition and Indiana Jones-esque type of films um, that they've found a way to recirculate now. For sure. Moving on, uh, Moon Knight. Let's talk about Moon Knight. Yes. That came out in March. Yeah, so that was March. That was right... That was the month that we closed on the house. So I remember, like, unpacking boxes, and, like, we had folding chairs as our living room furniture, and making sure that we had the television set up with everything to go, because we recorded the Luck of the Irish review for Monorail Radio, but I also wanted to make sure that... I had everything set up to watch Moon Knight because... Oscar Isaac. That's it. Like, you put him in anything, I'm in. But this was so unique and so different than anything Marvel has done. And he is just so talented that this was one that, like, episodic, this was one that I couldn't wait every week to get more Moon Knight. Same. I absolutely loved it. Uh, It was often a little confusing, and I felt like I had no idea what was going on, but in the best possible way. Not like with Loki, where that sort of annoyed me, that you couldn't get your finger on the pulse of it, and you had no idea where it was going forward, backward in time and space. Um, I I know. I know. (laughs) Please don't hate on us. Don't come for us about Loki. We've said it before. We've tried it twice. We rewatched it, and, and... I still just can't get into it. I liked it better the second time around, but um, this had me hooked from the jump, even though it was sort of similar to Loki in that way where they didn't want you to have any clue as to what was going to happen or, or to be able to figure it out. Because, And I think that was what I enjoyed most about it this time, though, is that I didn't know if this was really happening to the main character or if it was in his head, and they struck that balance perfectly. 
I, I loved everything about it. I'm, I actually really look forward to watching that one again. Yeah, on a, on a rewatch, it was even better the second time around. Uh, that much I can tell you for sure. Then Turning Red came out. Uh, to listen to our full review of Turning Red, uh, that was episode 202 of Monoreal Radio. Anytime I mention uh, a show that we've done where we reviewed one of these films, uh, I will make sure to link it in the show notes. Yes, I also think it's worth mentioning as we're going through here, we are only discussing what we, what saw. we saw. This is not everything that came out. I mean, we did our best, all things considered, especially since we you know, did a little thing like moving this year. Um, even if we hadn't, there was just so much. There was no way to get to all of it and put out a show every week. But um, we are just hitting on the titles that we actually sat down, whether we did for the show or just for our own enjoyment. Yes. May. Uh, May was had the, a lot. May had a lot. This was the first Disney... It, I call it Disney because Disney owns Marvel. This was the first Disney film that we saw down here, actually. Yes. This was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And this, from the opening scene, hooks you. It's confusing, but in the same ways that I think Moon Knight are confusing, in all of the right ways. I love this turn that Marvel took. I love this character. Um... I thought that this was a far superior film than the first. Because as I remember it, what I had said about Doctor Strange, I love him as a character in other movies. I did not love Doctor Strange on rewatch. It was good, not great. This is what I could get down with, though. Exactly. I agree with you. Like I like him better in scenes where he's up against Tony Stark than I did on his own. And for a character that I was lukewarm on, this totally converted me. I absolutely love this film. I love what it does for the character arc. I love what it does uh, with his relationship with Christine and the idea that in any time, in any place, there's still going to be that pull to each other. Uh, But for me, the real meat and potatoes of this movie was what it did for Wanda. Um, I absolutely loved seeing her descent Probably, again, we talk about it on the show all the time. I love Wicked, and I love seeing the arc of the Wicked Witch and how she becomes Wicked and how she um, sort of falls victim to the trap that everyone laid out for her. And I loved seeing that happen with Wanda, but not in a way that felt like they were ripping Wicked off, especially because I don't think anyone other than Sam Raimi could have handled this material, and I think that's what really sets this film apart, is because it's not just a great Marvel flick. It is an awesome Sam Raimi movie, and the horror elements that are sprinkled throughout, I I don't think anyone else could have done this. It was just absolutely phenomenal. I think for the people that didn't like it, they didn't like it because they don't love Sam Raimi's style of directing, but I think that there's... I think that there's validity to that. Yes. I don't I think that if you just don't like Sam Raimi, you're probably not gonna dig this. But if you're a Sam Raimi fan and you love Spider Man and the first uh, or you know, the first Spider Man film and Evil Going Dead, back to uh, Toby Maguire. Yeah, and Evil Dead, like, it's totally gonna be your bag. Yeah. Episodic television, some of it at its best, surprise nobody came out of Lucasfilm again. 
Obi-Wan Kenobi. I want more. Give me more Ewan McGregor. He's the best thing that comes out of that prequel series. He continues to amaze. He continues to astonish. I didn't like this as much as Mandalorian, because I have said that I think Mandalorian is going to go down as the greatest television show of all time. But I do think it's probably my second favorite Star Wars television series, and it is just a notch below The Mandalorian. Um, I also probably have a little bit more invested in this character than you. Exactly. And and just in the Star Wars universe in general, um, I think I liked it about the same as Mandalorian. And I really do enjoy Mandalorian. I don't want it to sound like, oh, I'm, I'm just not into it, so it didn't matter to me. No. I really do love Mandalorian. I love anything that Jon Favreau touches. Um... I don't know. This might actually have the edge, though, because I love what they did with Leia. Um, it was amazing. And I, I really love Ewan McGregor. And I remember when they announced this at the D23 Expo and how hyped everyone was. It, it was bedlam in that room. Everyone went crazy. And they delivered on it. Yeah, they did. Which, not for anything, has not been something we've said about the D23 Expo for the last couple of Expos, for what it's worth. Right. Something else that hit big time in May. Chippendale. Rescue Rangers. Don't call it a reboot. But we're gonna call it a reboot. Call it a comeback. Call it a comeback. Um, We reviewed it on episode number 188. So if you want to go back and listen to it, you can hear our full review there. It has since won an Emmy for Outstanding Television Movie. Um, Well-earned. Well-earned. Yeah, this was... Not to get too far ahead, that was definitely one of my favorites of this year. Yes. June, we saw Lightyear. We saw it here at Disney Springs. Swore that we would never miss a Disney opening again, that we would only see them at Disney Springs <laughs> and have not seen one at Disney Springs since. That's it, life. It's, that's how life happens sometimes. But um, we have a review for Lightyear coming up soon, so I don't want to get too much into it. Uh, but I really liked this movie, and I didn't think I was going to jive with Chris Evans as Buzz Lightyear because I just loved Tim Allen so much. And don't confuse this with anything more than I just love Tim Allen as an actor, and I grew up with him. And to me, he's Buzz Lightyear. I thought that Chris Evans did an admirable job, and I really like what he brought to the character. I just still don't understand why people are getting so hung up on that. But it's not Tim Allen. It was never supposed to be. Tim Allen voiced the toy, and Chris Allen... Chris Allen, oh my goodness, listen to me. Chris Evans was Buzz who the toy is based off of. It it was very simple. I thought that the trailers did an excellent job of explaining that, and yet people are still, I'm not going to see it because it's not Tim Allen. You, the biggest Tim Allen stands, still were hyped on this movie. I still don't know what that word is. But I, I, yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I I enjoyed Lightyear, and I'm looking forward to giving it the full treatment uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, something that we saw that, not to spoil what will later be reviewed um, that we didn't like quite as much as Lightyear I don't think anybody really did quite honestly was Thor Love and Thunder 
Thor Love and Thunder, I think, is the perfect example of too much of a good thing. I 100% agree. Not that there's ever too much Chris Hemsworth, especially not in this movie, am I right? Um, <laughs> Sean does not appreciate that joke. Uh, I'm talking about his butt. Yeah, no, we know what you were talking about. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the writing as far as too much of a good thing. Um, I love what Taika Waititi does for these films. And I love how he took, how he figured out a really delicate balance of the humor and the emotion of Thor because, you know, we've talked about it before on the show that Thor, as far as the Avengers go, has probably lost more than anyone. His mother, his father, his brother, his entire kingdom. And people forget that because in um, Endgame, he was the butt of the joke where, you know, they made him Thor Lebowski with the fat suit. And I think that was a really difficult thing to tackle because you have to be able to show the, the mental anguish of what he's dealing with from, from all of this loss. And to do that and balance it out with this comedy and not make Thor too stupid was really difficult. And Taika figured that out through all of the Avengers films and through all the Thor films until now. I think that what they tried to do in this movie was they tried to make it at times almost too funny. I felt like this film almost felt like a parody at times. Um, the best part about this movie was Christian Bale. Yes. Uh, Christian Bale was the best part of this movie, and I I had hoped that we would get more of him without spoiling too much. It's Marvel. We have multiverses. They can figure it out. Yeah. But I, I really wish that they would have just left him in a different place so that we could get more of him. Because, I'll put it to you this way, I would want to see a a gore movie before a Thor movie at this point in time. I agree. The other thing that I was really bumping on with this film, uh, I love what they did with Jane and her character arc, but I really don't like how they shoehorned this great love story between them. Like... Yes, we know that Thor was always going to come back for her no matter what. However, there was that montage of all this time they spent together. When? Yeah, they played with the timeline to the point that it didn't make sense. All just for the sake of having that that one ABBA song in the film. Yeah. um, her, Her conclusion was wonderful. And it's what you knew it was going to be. But we're going to give it a rewatch, and we'll see if our opinion changes. Something that was a lot more polarizing than I thought it was going to be, for reasons I don't quite understand, happened in August when She-Hulk Attorney at Law dropped on Disney+. Plus. Again, this is incredible episodic television I loved her as a character I loved the humor of it Um, I will say that there are episodes that mean nothing and you don't get a lot of that in in the MCU 
you know, or at least in Marvel with television. You don't get a lot of that with Lucasfilm either. But other than having one or two episodes that really just felt like filler nonsense, which most television shows are guilty of anyway, I thought that this was really well done. I thought that she knocked it out of the park. And I'm really excited to see the next season of it. Same. Um, I really loved this series. Um, I, lo- I mean, I just loved the idea of the character that you have this really, like, abrasive woman that does not give a hoot. And instead of making her the villain, they gave her so many likable quali- qualities that you couldn't help but fall in love with her as the main character. Um, I absolutely adored this cast, um, especially Madison with a Y. Um, I I thought this was hysterical. I think it's one of the best things that Marvel has ever done. Uh, The only thing that I didn't completely love about it was that Jennifer didn't care about exposing the Hulk. And I, I feel like that really goes against everything that the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. have stood for that you're not just flaunting this and flaunting your powers out in the open. Especially when, you know, they lambasted Iron Man for doing that when he destroyed, um, what was it, Brazil? I think it was South America in uh, Age of Ultron. Yeah, With, yeah, yeah. with the Hulkbuster. Yes, yes. Um, so I understand that, like, we are in a different phase now. I understand that they are trying to move Marvel forward, and this might be part of it, that they don't feel the need to be so secretive, so protective. But I feel like from episode to episode, they could have done a little bit of a better job of having Jen decide more definitively what it was she was going to do. And I, I get also that that is part of the character, that she was a little bit undecided and wishy-washy and just sort of going with the flow and trying to get her head around all of it. But, um, I don't know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is not completely out of the picture yet. We know that they're going to come back into play with Secret Invasion. So, I just wish we could have had S.H.I.E.L.D.'s POV a little bit more. Yeah. Um, September. September. What an interesting month. That's right. Disney Plus Day. Fake Disney Plus Day with a fake Pinocchio movie. Oh. Holy smokey Shots fired. Uh, shots fired. Embers burning. Whatever it is that we need to do to not watch that movie again. Episode 208. That's our full review. I don't think I've spoiled anything because, frankly, I don't know that I've spoken to a lot of people that really even enjoyed this movie. I can't think of one. And actually, no. I feel like the majority of our friends haven't seen it yet. Because they were smarter than we were. Because they don't have a Disney film (laughs) podcast where they have to watch these things in spite of themselves. If we didn't have this podcast, would you have watched it? Probably. Right away? No. We watched it a lot earlier than we did. That would have been like, well, the weather's bad. And I've already scrubbed the house. And I don't have anything else to do. So I guess we'll watch Pinocchio. Mm, no, I think Zemeckis would have gotten the better of you earlier on. Well, you let me down. Damn it, he let me down, I know. Rob. You let me down. I know. 
Uh, then we got season two of Mighty Ducks Game Changers. This was a very polarizing one between you and I because what made us decide to watch it, it was the 30th anniversary of the Mighty Ducks. So naturally, we reviewed all of them on the show. D1, D2, and D3. Yeah. Why? Why? Just why D3? Anyway, I digress. It's it's not the best film. It's not the best capstone for the franchise. It's not um, not continuous with anything else that they established in the rest of the films. Um, which was why we were very hesitant to get into Game Changers. But, you know, being that they got Emilio Estevez back for it in the first season, and Lauren Graham, who I absolutely love, I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan, uh, we decided to roll the dice on it. We figured it would be okay, especially since both of them had executive producer credit. So uh, we watched season one last year. We did a bonus episode reviewing it, so you can go back and listen to that too after our reviews of The Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Um, you had tapped out. You did not want to watch season two. I did not. But we were rolling with it, and after doing, you know, straight through a month's worth of Mighty Ducks reviews, we were so immersed in that world, I really wanted to keep it going. And after watching, after our second go-around of Game Changers, the first season, I realized it did have... Some things I didn't jive with as far as uh, continuity with the original Mighty Ducks. And really, Bombay's story is what we bumped on the most, was that we felt like he regressed all the way back to D1. Um, But after the second viewing, I realized I thought it had legs to stand on its own, and I really started getting attached to this new cast. So I wanted to continue with D2, or I'm sorry, with, with the second season of Game Changers, and I convinced you to... Well, you said you'd give it, like, what, two episodes? And you ended up sticking it out with me. I ended up sticking it out. Um, I like Josh Demel. I, I thought that he was a good addition to the cast. I don't understand why they didn't bring all of the ducks with them. I don't understand why certain members of this team didn't come back. And there was really no reason for it. And it wasn't really explained. Um, and I don't understand why they all get so offended and upset that Evan really cares about hockey. Because that's the entire reason why the Don't Bothers started. Bothered. Yeah, like... I, I'm... I, I'm kind of in the same boat if they do a third season. I'll give it two. And if it's too much of the same, then I'm going to officially tap out. Did I like this more than the first season? It was marginally better, but I certainly don't think it's great. Like, of all of the shows that I can watch on Disney+, Plus, if I'm not doing a rewatch for the podcast, I'm, I'm not going to watch these, show, these shows again. The Mighty Ducks, specifically. Well, because there's just too much. But for me, the success of this show comes from Lauren Graham because she's just so darn charming. And if you do anything but agree with me, I will rewatch Gilmore Girls and make you do that with me. I like Lauren Graham, but her but her character is sports ball. 
she's sports ball even in the second season of the show where now she has coached not once but twice yeah and she still doesn't understand the basics of the game even no, when I Bombay the, took the time to show her things. I think by the end of season two, she got there. She got there at the end of season one and then regressed back uh, yeah. and had to start again. I'll give you in that. In season one. two, where they kind of like shoehorned in another love story that kind of didn't make sense. Well, because it wasn't supposed to be. Emilio Estevez tapped out, so they had to, they had to basically start from scratch. What I appreciate that they did there, though, was that they leave the door open for him to come back because this was isolated to a summer camp. You could totally put them back during the school year and have them practice at his rink again. Um, I think that the season could have been a bit shorter because I feel like storylines dragged over several episodes when they could have uh, tightened it up a little bit. Um and I really wanted to see more cameos because they started off so strong with the former Ducks cameo in the first episode. I fell off the freaking couch. I was so happy. Um, and they, there was one episode in particular where they go to the Anaheim Ducks stadium and they're teasing meeting like this big wig that works for the Ducks. And I really thought we were getting Charlie Conway. I, my heart was pounding. Um, spoiler alert, sorry, we don't get Charlie Conway, but I feel like they meant to do something big like that, and then just didn't, and there were no more cameos for the rest of the season. Yeah, it just ended there. Um, so hopefully in season three, I will get the Joshua Jackson, more than just a cameo, like if they, if they get him, I think they're really going to get him, and he would like sign on to do a season. If they do not get him back for the season three, if they even do a season three, just give it up. If if it take if three years in, they can't get him, he's never coming back. No, and that would also be a good um, a good way to smooth out if they can't get Estevez back for another season. Yeah, uh, and we got Hocus Pocus too. We had a full episode review, episode number two oh six. You can go back and listen to our review there. I still don't understand why this movie got put to Disney Plus and why it didn't get a theatrical release. Because I feel like it could have and it should have. Um, and I am not a Hocus Pocus fan at all, whatsoever. But I will just leave this out there without spoiling the full review. I found this movie enjoyable. Now, I am in the minority there. <laughs> because I was in the minority when I didn't like the first film. And I'm in the minority that I liked the second film. So I'm just putting that one out there. I don't think we discussed this when we reviewed it. I am surprised that this one went straight to Disney+. Plus. I mean, I am and I'm not because that's kind of been the trend this year is just putting things out to Disney+. Plus. But when you factor in the first film, it was not an immediate box office success. I think part of that comes from it was released over the summer when the kids are off from school. It was not revered as a Halloween movie until Freeform and ABC the Disney Family, Channel and yeah. ABC Families started airing it during Halloween. And now it's become the Halloween staple that we all know. But you would think that they bothered to do the sequel. They would have capitalized on the box office numbers, releasing it 
you know, the, it was on September 30th that this came out. It was right before October. This movie could have made them a lot of money. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And it's like, you, you didn't learn your lesson from the first time. I know. So why bother to do a sequel if you're not going to try and capitalize on the success? Yeah, I don't know. October rolls around. We get Werewolf by Night. We reviewed it on episode number 207. Marvel striking gold again with television. Different, though. This is a one-off episode. I don't An hour wanna, long. I don't want to call it a made-for-TV movie. I guess you could call it a short film. Maybe. I don't know exactly where you categorize it. Or if it's just a special. Maybe it's just a special. But they strike gold again. I absolutely loved Werewolf by Night. As did I. And I think a lot of that comes... I mean, it, it's not just the beautiful filming in black and white... Uh, not just the cast, not just the amazing makeup and cinematography. For me, it was the length of it, where I feel like some of these six-part series, like Loki, tend to drag a little bit. You hit that sweet spot with the hour long. Um, I'm saying hour long, really, it's 42 minutes. It would be an hour long if it was aired yeah. on a network with yeah, commercials. Right. right. And that's that's how you're thinking of it. Yeah, I, I, look, Go back and listen to our review. Highly enjoyable. November. Big one. Big one. Big month. Big month. Got the highly anticipated and yet all at the same time heartbreaking Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I really look forward to revisiting this film. Uh, The opening scene, the opening credits... It's an extraordinarily hard watch. Um, Without spoiling too much of my review, I thought the movie was very good. I thought Shuri was excellent. If I had one gripe with the movie, they struck such a chord and you had such an emotional reaction to the opening scene, the first ten minutes of the movie, really. And I thought, perfect. Perfect. You've done it. You, you you punched us all in the gut. We're all in this together. We're all upset. We all mourn and miss Chaswick Bozeman. Uh, and now we're going to move on. And then 20 minutes later, they would remind you that he's gone. And then 20 minutes after that, they reminded you that he's gone to the point where I'm not going to say it was offensive but I felt it was kind of patronizing. We didn't need a reminder that we lost Chadwick Boseman. You could have just done it that one time at the beginning of the movie, and it would have been spectacular, and you would have gone on and made a great film. The fact that they kept calling attention to it, though, I didn't I didn't feel it was necessary or even appropriate. I agree. I think it knocked Shuri down far too many pegs. I mean, I know you have to set her up with the loss to give her that springboard for her to eventually accomplish her goal. Right. But we didn't need to dig this massive hole for her to climb out of. It it was already deep enough without having the constant reminder. Um, What I also want to talk about with this film, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. Um... Angela Bassett's arms. My God. I was blown away from the moment that she stepped on screen. She's 
aging so gracefully. She's absolutely stunning. But her freaking arms. Like, I don't know if she got Norman Reedus's trainer from The Walking Dead or what. But she looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, she she was pretty jacked. Yeah, and she she was wonderful in this film. Yeah. Disenchanted. Episode 210. We reviewed it. Couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. And just, just a couple of weeks ago, it was a month ago, um, that we reviewed it. Not as good as the first. I don't think that surprises anybody. I don't think anybody expected it to be as good as the, as the first. They did a lot of things well. They did a lot of things not so great. But um, this one... I was not as surprised that it went straight to Disney Plus because I love Enchanted. It's one of my favorite films, period. But even I recognize that it's not as revered or have the pop, uh, you know, the uh, cult classic following that um, Hocus Pocus has. So this one, I'm not surprised that it did get uh, a jump right to Disney Plus and that they skipped the theatrical run. Yeah, that didn't surprise me also because we had talked about this a little bit when we reviewed it. Um, Enchanted was very hard to find for a while. Um, it took years to get it onto Disney Plus. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You you didn't acknowledge the film enough to put it on Disney Plus, you know, since, you, since Disney Plus's inception. But... All of a sudden, now you're doing the sequel, and then you thought, oh, we should really put it out there. But it's it's like, why did you do a sequel then if you didn't think enough of the original? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we reviewed the whole thing, so without getting too much into it, um, I definitely enjoyed it, but it didn't capture that same magic that the first one did and, and humor that the first one did. Um, just by virtue of you lose that whole fish out of water element to Giselle being lost in Manhattan. Yeah. And that is the best part of that film. Yes. And how self-aware the movie yes, is. Yes, exactly. Um, Strange World. Strange World um, did not have a long theatrical run. We did see it in theaters, though. We did see it in theaters. We're going to review it soon. Um, without getting into the controversy of it, um... I thought it was a good, not great movie. Um, I'm excited for a rewatch. We didn't have to wait long because it did drop on Disney Plus, I believe, on the 23rd of December, so yes. it's already there. So it was in theaters for about a month. Yeah, because it was their Thanksgiving open. And that had absolutely nothing to do with Avatar premiering. No. So, if you know, if you're interested in it and you want to give it a watch... It's a good movie. Um, uh, that one I am interested in doing a rewatch on and seeing if there's a little bit more that I pull from the second time around because I thought the setting was incredible. As far as animation goes, yeah. this is one of the best-looking films that Disney has done in quite some time. Agreed. And there's a really great twist. It's, um, the twist is incredible, yeah. actually. And, uh, and uh, that's why like, I, I wish people would just take a chance on it and... Stop listening to the naysayers and just go seek out this film on their own and and watch it and hopefully enjoy it because um, I agree with you. I mean, is it one of Disney's best films? No, but there's a really 
great story. There was at one point, admittedly, when I was watching it, where I thought that they were sacrificing good storytelling for proving a point. They didn't. They they bring it all back around. Um, it's a really great social commentary on the environment and what we're doing to the environment. Um, and they channel it through these three different generations because they're looking at it from three completely different points of view. And it's such an important conversation to have, and that is getting lost by everything else that people are talking about. So we're, we're going to give it the full treatment in a couple of weeks. We're really going to delve into the ins and outs of it. Uh, but I'm very excited to watch it again and to talk about it. Yes. So moving into December, because we did have a couple of more things that that came out, uh, starting with Idina, which way to the stage? Yes. So excited I, I to talk about this one. I off on this one. Um, I'm just, I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm just so glad that this girl is finally getting her due, because I've been with her since her, her Wicked days. Not her Rent days. I'm so bummed that I did not get her t- to see her in the original cast of Rent. I did see her twice in the original cast of Wicked because I loved her so much. Uh, we found out she was leaving, and we, me and my brother rushed back to see it again because I wanted to see her performance. Um, so I'm just so happy that... And I mean, of course, it's really since Frozen that people recognize her talent, and she was catapulted... Uh, into the spotlight the way that she should have been recognized so many years ago. But I'm glad she's finally got her due. Um, I'm glad that people get to see that story because I feel like most people think that Elsa just fell into her lap after uh, she had the little part in Enchanted. I say little part because obviously they, they've grown the character Nancy in Disenchanted. Right. But... You know, Enchanted, she was the pissed-off girlfriend. Right. And then she was Elsa. Nobody talks about how in between, and they didn't even mention it in this film. I'm wondering if Disney didn't want to. She was in consideration for Rapunzel, but they said her voice was too big. And that's why Mandy Moore got it. But they had her on the back burner. Come here, Mandy Moore. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was worth waiting for, because when you think about, like, nobody else could be Elsa. And, and I don't think anybody else could be Rapunzel, actually. I, I would thought agree Mandy with Moore that. was incredible. No, everybody ended up the way that they were supposed to. But they did bury that story out of this documentary. Um, I don't... As far as documentaries go, I don't love the way that this one was produced. I mean, I think Waking Sleeping Beauty is the most perfect documentary. And I thought that this was going to sort of follow suit as far as... You know, you see me having it all now, but I had to really claw my way to the top. Um, And it wasn't really such a struggle story. I think that they were trying to paint the picture of not everything coming so easy to someone with this enormous talent who had the privilege of growing up in a well-to-do family, getting into NYU. You know, she did... I'm not going to say that she had a silver spoon, but she did have a lot of opportunity. That, that came easily to her. But once she got it, it wasn't like she got her Broadway debut and then everything was perfect. There was still a lot of ebb and flow, up and down. Um, and and they, they do show you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Um, I wish that they would have let her personality shine through a little bit more. Yes. Um, because without spoiling it, if you haven't seen it yet, um, they're kind of following this story... 
that she's dealing with something in her personal life and you think like this is going to be like an integral part of the documentary and there are times where she laughs there are times where she literally breaks down and cries and I'm like wow they're kind of going for it they're going to show you like everything about her because she is very much an open book if you've ever seen her live you know what I'm talking about um and then they were just kind of like well this happened and this didn't happen and then this didn't happen but then this did the end and I say this not in a way to insult her but it left me watching it at the end and I was like so what was the point of this they didn't connect the A and B story correct yeah not the best documentary and also I think we actually skipped something um the Mickey, the story of the mouse. That was a documentary that uh, dropped on Disney+. Plus. Yes, that was on his birthday, so that was November 18th. Right, so we did review that as well, and I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, and it, it, it jogged my memory because you said Waking Sleeping Beauty has ruined everything, and that was exactly what you said about that particular documentary. Um, again, good, not great. Um, it was better than the Mickey 90s show that sure. we saw, you know... At, when we were in California, our first night on vacation, we rushed back to the room to watch it. Um, I thought this was better than that. I thought it handled all facets of Mickey fairly well. Um, that, I gave that a lot of credit for because it did show the good, bad, and the ugly. And when you think about Mickey Mouse and what he means, not just to the Walt Disney Company, but what he means to the world at large, I thought them not shying away from the good, bad, and ugly was... Uh, something that was commendable. I totally agree. And um, I love how they wove in the story of the production of the um, Mickey in a Minute short. Yes. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, definitely worth checking out for the Mickey's history, but also to see Eric Goldberg, um, who animated the genie, take on this bigger role of directing and piecing this thing together. Yeah. Uh, then we had the Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special. Um, we reviewed it last week on Monorail Radio. Um, and it's perfect. Spoiler alert. It's just perfect. It's it's so good. It's just so good. And then uh, this week, this past week, uh, we got Beauty and the Beast, the 30th, quote-unquote, 30th anniversary of Beauty and the Beast, and they did it live on ABC. I just have to say, I mean, we get direct messages, we get emails... Uh, from listeners and our friends asking, uh, you know, oh, hey, are you going to check this out? Are you going to review it? A, a lot of times if there's a new movie, our friends will text us and come to us and say, oh, hey, what did you think of this? Is it worth checking out? I have never seen the response that we got as far as you two need to watch Beauty and the Beast Live. Um, as it turned out, we were in was that Epcot were we doing the the candlelight processional that night I f no we went no we went to the movies and saw violent night <laughs> that's where we were it was something christmas related that's where we that's were that's where we were that's right um right because i was going back up to new york to visit my family for the holiday and we wanted to squeeze it in before Christmas, and that's what we were doing. We did not watch it live. But 
we taped it because we knew it was going to go to Disney Plus, but we knew it was going to get cleaned up. Oh, yeah. So if anything happened, we wanted to make sure that we saw the real deal. Um, but yeah, just an overwhelming response of people telling us we needed to watch it. And um, uh, I mean, I, I can see why. Um, first of all, to your point, <laughs> you mentioned the 30th anniversary special. Okay. We reviewed Beauty and the Beast for its 30th anniversary last year because it came out in 1991. I understand that maybe if they wanted to do this last year because of the pandemic, they couldn't. If they didn't want to have a live audience, if they didn't want to have that many people, okay, fine. But then just skip to Aladdin because Aladdin is 30 this year, not Beauty and the Beast. And I, I just felt that that was in such poor taste considering that we lost Angela Lansbury this year too. Yeah. Don't call it the 30th anniversary when it's not, when she obviously couldn't be a part of this. It was just odd. Like, this whole, we cut back and forth between animation and live, to me, is kind of weird. Well, they did that with Little Mermaid, too. I know, but this was just so strange. Uh, I thought the cast was good. I thought the cast did a really good job. I think in terms of an ensemble cast, this was probably the best performance that we've seen. But, um, yeah, it, it was just, it was strange, to say the least. Speaking of the cast... Josh Groban was having the time of his life. I don't think anybody was having more fun than Josh Groban. Yeah. Um, and I really like what they did with the Beast's suit, how they made it um, uh, sort of a puppeteer, like what they do with um, with Jack Skellington uh, at, at uh, Not So Scary, how they make him larger than life and you have to operate him, you know, like the hands have different movements. I thought that that was very, very cool. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what to make of this thing, and I'm hoping that I will as we're talking through it. Um, I'm not going to say that it wasn't worth doing, because what I really liked about it is that there were so many different components of live theater. Like, it did have the interpretive dancing for the rose, which I thought was really cool, and, you know... On a stage, you might not see how it, it wouldn't. It might not work on a stage because they had the camera overhead where the dancers are performing shapes. You would need like a mirror above them. Yes. So I mean, while the dancing, I'm sure, would look beautiful on stage, this is an added element because you've got that overhead shot. I thought that was really cool. Um, but certain things, though, what, what I didn't like about it is that it didn't feel cohesive. Each dance number, each live performance, it felt so separate from, from everything else, which I guess could be cool. But to me, that felt like very New York theater. I think Howard Ashman would have loved something like this because it is so many different styles of theater compiled into one show. Uh, and I think he would have appreciated shining a light on all of these different types of performers. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily everyone's cup of tea. I mean, I, I liked certain numbers on their own more than I did this interpretation as a whole. Got it, yeah. Um, I really liked Be Our Guest more so than I did in the live-action remake. Um 
I really liked uh, Shania Twain singing Beauty and the Beast, how they just stripped it down with Alan Menken at the piano. I thought that was lovely. Um, and I really liked what they did for Gaston. To me, that blew the live action out of the water. It pulled a little bit from the Broadway show where they're dancing with the mugs and... Um, you know, adding that sort of choreography where they're up on the bar. Um, and I wish there had been more of that in the live action. That, to me, was the coolest number. Uh, and, and I really liked her as Belle. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I still... I, I guess I didn't hate it, but I just wish... I would have appreciated it more if it was a little bit more cohesive. It was, yeah, it was just disjointed and... It was odd. Like, that, that's the most I could say. It was just, it was bizarre. Um, and if they're going to continue to do these, I wish they would stop cutting back and forth with the animation. They would just do it. Yeah, just do it as a stage performance. Or you don't have to do them anymore. It's okay. All right, let's talk about what our favorite thing was of 2022. And I don't have to go back and look at the list. It's a home run, slam dunk. It's not even close. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. For me, was the best thing that I saw this year. There was a lot of great movies. There was a lot of great television shows. I think Obi-Wan was definitely an honorable mention. Moon Knight, honorable mention. But to me, nothing this year was better than the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I think I would have to agree with that. Um, for me, the honorable mentions are Chippendale Rescue Rangers, just because, yes, even though it played off nostalgia, I love how they brought it into today's world, and they blended all these different animation styles. I thought that was brilliant. But to me, Marvel stole the show this year with Moon Knight, Werewolf by Night, um, and, and Guardians. That, that has to be my top. I mean, I always love the Guardians. They're my faves. So I was probably completely biased going in, but they just knocked it out of the park. For sure. So that's going to do it for our 2022 year in review, but we have something very special planned going into 2023. We have a very cool giveaway. I am very excited about this one. Uh, our friends, Brendan and Catherine, who produced the Detour to Neverland podcast, uh, which features Disney content creators and product producers, uh, posted one of the coolest products I have ever seen. I have been saying for years that Disney should make a day planner because they do have journals, and I would have loved a day planner with a character on it. Um, but I'm so glad that they've not put anything like that out because Kelsey from The Lost Weekend Co. figured out how to do it better. She created a beautiful day planner, which is inspired by Walt Disney and the idea that one man's imagination took an orange grove and turned it into our happy place. Um, and she put that into the planner to inspire anyone and everyone to pursue their own dreams. Um, and she does it in such a way that she's creating actionable items for you to hold yourself accountable. There's more than just the, the monthly grid for the calendar and your weekly breakdown layouts. Um, there's a, it almost pulls more like 
uh, journal elements into it because there's monthly reflections, there's quarterly reflections to help you uh, stay on track with your goals. Um, and there's all of these little subtle Disney touches. There are quotes from Walt Disney, uh, quotes from other dreamers. Uh, there's even my favorite quote from Wishes on the cover, do as dreamers do. Uh, and I think that's probably why I was immediately attracted to this planner, because if you've listened to this podcast or heard me talk in any capacity, you know that I love Wishes. It will forever be my favorite fireworks show. So um, I was just really excited to stumble across this planner. Uh, I brought one immediately, and then I got to talking with Kelsey uh, on Instagram. We were going back and forth, found out that she listens to us, and she was kind enough to give us a journal to give away. So I am so excited to be able to share something that I love so much with our listeners because I, I just I can't wait to fill everything in and, and really crack into this journal and I'm also excited um, it's got a habit tracker like I'm just really excited to utilize it I mean you know me I'm organized to a fault um, and I think this is just going to help me have some fun with it and really stay on track uh, not just with things that we want to do with the podcast this year uh, but just in my day to day yeah so we are going to run this contest. We're going to give that away. We're going to pair it with a Monorail Radio t-shirt. Um, we are going... And we have some other goodies, too. Yes, we do. We've been compiling things from our various park excursions. Uh, do, do you want to say what they are, or should we let it be a surprise? Well, Let's... it's going to be on the social media. You're going to see a picture of everything that we're giving away. Yeah, we'll just, we're going to let... You gotta follow the social media. I'm just gonna leave it there, and you're gonna have to follow us there, and that's where you're gonna find out what is included in the prize pack, other than the day planner and slash journal and the monorail radio T-shirt. We're gonna run this. Uh, you have until Monday, January second at 11:59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, like and tag is that how we're gonna do this one are we doing a like and tag on social media yes we're gonna do you must be following us at monoreal radio um on whatever platform you're entering you must be following kelsey at lost weekend co uh and then uh it, it, i mean you should give her a follow anyway especially if you are interested in one of these day planners because it really details uh, you know, she shows all the pages, and I'm going to be posting, too, um, so you can see the inside and what it looks like. Because if you're anything like me and you're picky about your day planner, you're going to want to see it. Uh, so definitely enter, but I know she's got a few left in stock for purchase, uh, so don't miss out on that. Right. And we're going to run the contest, as Sean said, until January 2nd. We are going to announce the, win the winner on next week's review on the 3rd. And we're going to get this planner out to you as soon as humanly possible so you have it that first week of January and you can start using it. Yeah, so if you plan on entering, you should listen that week so that we don't have to chase you down. You come to us. <laughs> okay, you come to us with your shipping uh, information. So, yes, follow both of us. Uh, like the post and tag a friend. That's how we're going to do it. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. 
I mentioned that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. We love to hear from you. You can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Let us know what some of your favorites were from 2022. Uh, and for links related to the show, it's always going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.